Okay, I'm not breaking any news here. We all see that the world around us is getting darker, right? I mean, it's plainly evident that the love of man is waxing cold. We see violence, corruption, war, hunger, poverty, sexual immorality all around us, and it only continues to intensify. In a world that seems to have lost its moral compass, what are we as followers of Christ supposed to do? The answer to that question is, is that we must stop looking for others to change. We have to become the change that we seek. Today on the podcast, I have on David Patton. Now, David is a man who has worked in Hollywood in the film industry and has seen the inner workings of it. He has since left Hollywood and has started a film company of his own that seeks to make films that tell accurate Mormon history and films that uplift and help people become pure in heart. We talk a little bit about the genesis of this project, some of his challenges as a Mormon fundamentalist, independent filmmaker, and what his vision is for the future of his venture. Along the way, we talk a lot about gospel principles and teachings. And that's all next on this edition of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So I just want to take a moment to thank you, the listener. When I started this podcast, I wasn't sure if anyone would really listen. Now, to my surprise, this thing has taken on a life of its own. And that's all due to you, the listener, spending your time here with me. And it means a great deal to me. Now, as a husband and father, I'm keenly aware of how important time is. It feels like there's just never enough of it. So when you are spending your time here listening to this podcast, I feel a responsibility to never waste your time. In that spirit, as this podcast has grown, I feel like I need to do you, the listener, justice. I want to continue to produce good content and upgrade the audio quality. That takes better equipment and better software, and that all takes money. Now, I've tried to advertise, but you'd be surprised. There's not a lot of people wanting to advertise on a Mormon fundamentalist podcast. I know, surprising, right? Now, if you want to help support the podcast, you can do that one of two ways. The first is go over to mormonrenegade.com and hit the Donate tab. There you can make a one-time donation, or you can go ahead and set it up to be a monthly recurring donation. Your choice entirely. Now, option number two, because I'm a capitalist, if you want to head on over to mormonrenegade.com, click on the store button, you're going to find that we've got some new swag out. We got some t-shirts, we have a tote, we have cell phone cases, water bottles, coffee cups, we got a bunch of stuff and more is going to be on the way. So, if you feel like that's something you could do, again, head on over to Mormon Renegade and check all that stuff out. If you're not in that position to do so, I completely understand. We're all squeezed right now with high gas prices and high inflation. So even if you can't, please keep listening and maybe keep the podcast in your prayers so we can continue to grow, produce good content, and better audio quality. Thank you. Listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Welcome back to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. As always, you can get a hold of me uh, either by email at mormonrenegade at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Getter under the handle Mormon Renegade. Also, we have a website up, and that's mormonrenegade.com, so go check that out. So today on the podcast, I have David Patton on, and David is embarking on a 
uh, endeavor that I find super important. And that is, uh, he, he's striving, him and him, his partner uh, in, in this venture are, are striving to make films that have a, a gospel-centered theme. Did, did I cover that about right, David? Yes, David. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> uh, great name, by the way. Um, yes, thank you very, very much for the introduction. And that is indeed what we are endeavoring. So real quick, if, if you don't mind, um, we're, are, are you a Mormon fundamentalist? Is that correct? That's correct. And were you always a fundamentalist or, or were you kind of born into the LDS church or what's kind I, I of your upbringing? Yeah, I was born fundamentalist and I've okay. been around. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. And, and now I know you have some issues here that with privacy and that sort of thing, but mm -hmm. if, if you can, and if you can't, I completely understand. Um, were you kind of like raised in Utah? Tell me about what your upbringing was like. Yeah, yeah, raised in Utah, and uh, the upbringing was, um, I wouldn't say it was your common fundamentalist experience. Uh, the, the childhood was really, really good, and as you, uh, as I grew up, then I started noticing things in my community that um, the Book of Mormon pointed out as priestcraft, and uh, uh, long story short, um, this became a, an investigator myself of various different uh, fundamentalist breakoffs. And I've had quite a few conversations with leaderships in these different communities and uh, different people and have hopefully learned a lot. Uh, but in short, I would say that in all of the things I've seen, I've never felt to veer away from the Mormon fundamentalist um, belief system, even though that there are certain parts of it that uh, I find distasteful at times and the Book of Mormon speaks against um, it as a whole has been a great blessing and, and I can see the value in it. You know, that's it's always so fascinating. And this is one of my favorite parts of doing the podcast is listening to everybody's kind of faith expression. Right. And I've had I've had mainstream LDS folks on and will continue to do so. Um, okay. I've had on. Uh, Mormon fundamentalists who belong to groups, and I've had independent Mormon fundamentalists. And the thing I find fascinating is that we all tend to have a, a testimony of those bedrock things, right? And I find it to be so fascinating that that is a, a thread throughout everyone I talk to. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it's nice to have that foundation to fall back on uh, it seems to me that so many people want to focus on the differences, but I find there's so much more similarities than there are differences. And it I, is really nice to have that foundation. I couldn't agree with you more, David, because in, in, um, next week, I'm going to be releasing a episode where we're going to really kind of talk about this a, a little more in length with a, with another guest I'm going to have on. But the thing that, that I find interesting right now is I see the world coming for us all, right? Um, the adversary coming for us all. And if we don't stand together on the things that we can agree with, they'll pick our kids apart and pick us off individually one by one. And so I find it 
really essential that that we maybe try to reach out to some of our LDS brothers and sisters, independence to folks and groups, vice versa, all the way around. Because I, I feel like we're in a moment where it's all hands on deck. You know what I mean? I do, David. And honestly, I think you touched on it so perfectly there. Um, I think that uh, I think Satan's effort is to get us to divide more and more and to focus on the differences to the point where we won't work together and we won't have each other's back. And uh, I think that's a very strategic thing that the, the adversary has going on. And I agree with you. We should be reaching out and trying to encourage I like the quote from Joseph Smith, where he says, have the Baptists any truth, have the Presbyterians, have the Methodists, they all have truth. And we don't ask anyone to give up what they have. We just invite them to come get more. And if I cannot convince them that my way is better, then I will uphold and sustain them in their own way, too. Uh, he, he was very, very good at encouraging them on the level that they were willing to accept at the time. But he wouldn't hesitate to teach them something more that if if that would be something that they would want to listen to. Absolutely. And and if it's done correctly and it's done out of a sense of love, there's few people that get offended when you share something that you believe with somebody else. Yeah, because they, they can feel that love. If it's coming from a place of authenticity, it's it's perfect. Just as an example, right after I started this podcast, I had somebody reach out to me who was um, a Calvinist of all things. And uh, we've gotten to be pretty good friends and we rib each other quite a bit, right? Uh, like we're talking about him coming on the podcast off and on here. And, and he's like, I think I'm predestined to come on. And I was like, no, I think you're just choosing the right to come on to the podcast. And so there's, there's little, but, but it's all in good fun, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's absolutely. just, it's just in good fun. And, and I think if we can, I think it takes two things. One is, is just reaching out and love to those around us. And then two, let's not take ourselves too seriously. Right. I think if we can do those two things, I think we can reach out to a ton of people. I agree. Thanks for mentioning that. Absolutely. I agree. So real quick, let, let's get this out of the way. Um, as I said before, there's, there's some need for anonymity on your part here, right? Yeah. So yeah. D- David Patton isn't your real name and I'm, I'm, you're not going to disclose your real name here, but you said you wanted to touch on that a little bit. Why don't we do that right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very, very important that I let you and uh, your listeners know that David Patton is a fictitious name. The specific reason for this is that anonymity, it, it, it actually can aid a message, especially in the film industry. And uh, I've been in the film industry long enough to find out that most filmmakers, the number one priority for them is build their name, build their name, build their name, exalt their name. And so they want credit. They want to make sure that people recognize them for their talents and and to, to build their name up so they can have better future jobs or whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. Uh, and I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is the message. And so I don't want to be credited for it. I would prefer to remain anonymous for that reason and for the reason that uh, it can be a distraction. Who made it? sometimes becomes more important than what was made. And this has been one of the things that I've learned throughout, I will say, my fundamentalist upbringing and in the many uh, different groups that I've talked to is 
there's been a lot made about who has the priesthood, who has the fullness of the priesthood, who's the president of the priesthood. There's been so much focus on that that we've justified neglecting the principles of the gospel and the principles that Christ taught and that Joseph Smith taught in the name of, well, who ha this guy has the priesthood and that guy doesn't, so I'm justified in treating that guy or that group uh, ill. And a couple things I'd like to point out. We, uh, some of us will wear the title and the label of Mormon fundamentalist, which would imply that we keep and believe in fundamental Mormon principles. I want to quote two things that Joseph Smith said. One is he said, friendship is a fundamental principle of Mormonism. It's designed to unite the world together. And yet, if you look at the Mormon fundamentalist communities, most of us have a tendency to not be friends and choose not to be friends because we don't agree with a certain tenet of that particular group. Another quote, Joseph says, it is a fundamental, notice the word fundamental, fundamental principle of Mormonism to accept truth, let it come from whence it may. And we have a tendency to say, oh, if, well, I'll give you a few examples. If Alex Joseph said that, then he had an ulterior motive. If Warren Jeffs said such and such, he had an ulterior motive. Or if Roland Allred, man, he was an aspiring man. So we can't really take what he said as truth. And you find that there's uh, a lot of that talk. And I don't mean that as an accusation. It's just a, something that I've noticed as experience. But if Joseph Smith, the founder of our religion, said that those were fundamental principles of Mormonism, would it not follow that Mormon fundamentalists would try to implement them in their daily life? Absolutely. And so it is for that reason that, uh, that I prefer to remain anonymous, to focus on the message. Uh, obviously, there will be actors that, you know, people will recognize, and um, it's okay. You know, there's probably going to be some people that come on your show and say, hey, I recognize that, nice that voice, that David Patton guy. I know who that is, and that's okay. I'm not trying to, to hide from anybody. I'm just trying to deliver the message that let's focus on the principle. Let's focus on the message and not get caught up with who's saying it. No, I, th I think that makes perfect sense, David. I think that I think you're you're right on so many points there that you just said. One is is that the the last thing you, I've always said I like my politicians to be really dry and um, maybe a little hard to relate to because because the last thing you want is is a a cult of personality, right? And so yeah. I I. I totally get what you're saying there that that if if people focus on who you are rather than what the message is it it then becomes a cult of personality and most times oh. not always but most times the that cult of personality tends to um ebb and flow in terms of being successful with the person who's put on the pedestal Yes, absolutely. And I agree. Thank you for understanding that. So, yeah, I, I totally get that. The other thing I would say is I, I agree wholeheartedly with you on this idea that that we've we've kind of cannibalized each other, for lack of a better term. Right. And as we do, we're not making we think by tearing 
somebody else down from in Mormonism is, is you know, a way to strengthen our own position, whatever that may be. In all actuality, as we talked about just a few minutes before, it actually weakens us because if, if yes. we're set on beating our brother, well, then the enemy of the entire family is at the door and we don't see him coming. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Right. And I think we're in one of those moments. And, and this is why I really wanted to have you on the podcast, David, is because I feel like perhaps more so than any other time I can remember in my time as being a Mormon, and, and I wasn't a Mormon by birth. I joined the LDS church, and then I eventually became a fundamentalist. Um, the, the thing that, that, that I recognize now that happened just right after I started the podcast was that we're kind of coming into a fundamentalist moment. We might be right in the middle of it, right? With shows like Under the Banner of Heaven, um, we have things like um, uh, the, the Netflix special about Warren Jeffs. We mm -hmm. have, you know, it wasn't too long ago that, you know, they decriminalized uh, polygamy within Utah. Didn't legalize it, but decriminalized it. And so I feel like we're in this this more this fundamentalist Mormon moment, right? And yeah. and and when I see somebody who's a fundamentalist, who's who's like you know, uh, starting a movie studio seems to be kind of the thing to do right now. It really it really made me curious. Tell me about that process, David. Where were you when you? have this idea or the spirit moved you to do this can, can you kind of get fill me in on the background there of how you got sure. to this point sure absolutely I'll, I'll give you just cut a quick rundown um i was i was a uh, really close to all but signing a contract with paramount in in hollywood california uh on a trilogy of films that uh i i felt indifferent about they they had Mormon characters, interestingly, interestingly enough, but the, uh, the spirit of it just didn't feel right. But at the time, I wanted to build my name. As a filmmaker, I wanted to exalt my own name rather than God's. And uh, we ran into a situation where uh, I made a mistake reaching out to high-profile actors and when I thought that that was okay and, and found out that it wasn't yet because Paramount hadn't confirmed that they were really doing it. And so when I reached out to these high profile actors and they started asking, uh, you know, who's behind the film and I would say Paramount, then Paramount got upset with our company and they needed a scapegoat. <laughs> oh. Uh oh, so, so that's essentially what it became. And it was very hard at the time, but it turned out to be one of the greatest blessings of my life. Because in my humility, uh, I turned to the Lord and told him I was sorry if I was doing something wrong. And immediately, he put into my mind an idea of a feature film that I have since produced. And uh, it has gotten global distribution. It's a, it's a Christian film and delivers a very, hopefully, a very impactful message of love. But after that was done then i remember pondering what do i do next and i focused on my family for a while and uh several different times 
I felt just a, a gentle nudge to take it up a notch. Don't be afraid to defend the principles that you believe in and don't be afraid to share them because if Joseph Smith, John Taylor, Brigham Young, these guys that wrote periodicals and newspapers in their day, were going to use the best available press of their day to spread the gospel. Why shouldn't we use the best available press? And I realized in that moment that God had given me the ability to make films, uh, you know, decent quality films, but, but packed in a punch as far as the message is concerned. And uh, I was told two things in the spirit to not hide my talent under a bushel and to always look unto God for direction as to how to go about it. So with that, uh, the, the, uh, one, the other thing that got me pushing was you've probably heard the term historical revisionism. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a pretty uh, <laughs> active thing right now. There's a lot of historical revisionists that uh, throw the other presidents and prophets under the bus. And it's slowly leaking into, well, maybe Joseph Smith wasn't such a good guy. Let's, let's try to throw a couple of his things on, you know, let's bring some things in the limelight of he, what he did wrong. So eventually they'll let go of him. And I've noticed in talking with quite a bit of different people, especially in terms of Brigham Young, that a lot of people become familiar with one or two sentences that Brigham said that were pretty harsh or harsh sounding. But then when you go back and you read the entire context of the sermon, you find out yeah, that wasn't harsh. And then what happens is when they think that he's harsh, then they'll try to dig up dirt on the guy. And sometimes it's anti-Mormon material or sometimes it's a rumor that passed on for 150 years and, uh, you know, gets twisted with each telling. So one of the things that came to me was these people don't really know who Joseph and Brigham and John Taylor were. They see the sermons or portions of the sermons, but they don't see the acts that they had in their everyday lives. So I pulled out a book by Hiram Andrus. It's called They Knew the Prophet. There's another one by Mark McConkie called Remembering Joseph. And both books are actual eyewitness accounts of personal experiences that people had with Joseph Smith. And those experiences reveal who he was. And the idea hit me with all the historical revisionism that's going on. We need to combat this idea of people saying this is who this guy was, or this is who that guy was. He was a crook. He was evil. Uh, and, and I'll go back to Brigham Young for just a moment because uh, there are a couple things that people will take from Brigham Young that's very, very harsh. But then you'll go and read in the Journal of Discourses when somebody else is talking about Brigham Young and saying, why, why is Brigham so happy? Why do, why do people love being around Brother Brigham? Because he's so kind and thoughtful and because he reaches out to those that are in need. There, there's people that actually bear testimony to how Brigham lived his life. And then I picked up a, uh, a book written by Brigham Young's daughter where she talked about their everyday living. And he was an incredible human being. You find out how he was in his daily life 
and you find out it's so much different than misinterpreted or out of context quotes that people get a little disgruntled about. So with that said, I'll just finish by saying the idea that came to me is not only do fundamentalists need to go back and find out who Joseph Smith was, but there's a great many people who are leery about Joseph Smith that never would enter the restoration gospel without knowing who he is. And these films are designed first, the first series, to point out who he was. And already I've, I've cast a couple people that are Christian. They have never even thought of even looking into Mormonism. And uh, I gave him the heads up that, hey, this, this story that we're going to film, uh, it's about Joseph Smith, the leader of the Mormons, and uh, it makes him look good. So if you don't want to be part of it, there's your warning. And they looked at the script and they're like, wow, this is really awesome. I want to be part of it. And hopefully it opens a, a spark some interest. That, that is really cool. And you hit on so many things in there that, that I want to touch on. One is the revisionist history. Uh, the next podcast guest that will be released next week, um, they, uh, they're coming on. It's a name everyone recognizes. And I never say it until recording is done because sure. <laughs> sure. I never want to jinx anything. But, uh, yeah. but that person will be on to talk about just the thing you talked about, which was revisionist history. Because I think what's happening now is, so, is something that's very similar that we saw happen within the United States in the last hundred years, which is if you can discredit the messenger, then it's really easy to discredit the message. 100%. <laughs> and and I, think, I think they did it first with, in the United States with um, a lot of education, right, and under the guise of education. And now they're coming after Mormonism right discredit the messenger joseph smith brigham young john taylor and then you can discredit the message or maybe even reshape the message into something that they want to see and and the work of, of teaching true history in an engaging way has never been more important than it is right now Oh, absolutely. You, you hit on a lot of very, very important points. <laughs> and Brigham Young seems to be an easy target because Brigham did say some controversial things. I would preface that by saying that, that Brigham Young wasn't that controversial for his time. They're controversial to us today. And, sure. and, and you know, they're troublesome to us today. But we have to understand that he was still a man called by God, a prophet with a prophetic mantle, but that doesn't mean he was perfect either. And it's, sure. it's totally within the gospel to say, you know what, maybe Brother Brigham did have some flaws, but Brigham, Brother Brigham was also a prophet of the Lord. And when people focus solely upon, I guess, the sterner parts of who Brigham was, they don't take into account how tender he was. And there are plenty of accounts where he was very tender, right? I mean, yeah. look, this is a guy in the middle of conference who stands up and says, we got to go get those folks stuck out there on the plains. We're not yeah. leaving anybody out there. Likewise, there are stories of him where, where, you know, you mentioned his daughter. I remember I met, read one account where 
uh, one of his daughters was sick and it talked about just how gentle he was as he tended to his yep. own family. The other thing Brigham gets cast in a bad light for is they said, well, he bought um, Native Americans. Well, you have to look at the whole story, right? One Native American group, a uh, band of, of, of uh, or tribe, I should say, had brought in uh, children from another tribe and threatened to kill them unless somebody paid for them. And Brigham said, I'll pay. And, but they don't tell the whole story. They just tell one little section, David. Right. <laughs> and, and you don't get an accurate picture of who Brigham is until you look at the breadth of it. And we do this to all people in history. And I can't figure out why, but, but rather than focus on the whole, we tend to focus on one or two little things he said or she said, and then we cancel everybody because of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for mentioning that because I do want to point out just a couple things too um, on Brigham, especially. So this daughter uh, of his that wrote this book, she tells a story about going up to her mother. And, and, and as you probably know, Brigham had 56 children and 19 wives at one point. And uh, he goes up to, or she goes up to her mother and says, you seem sorrowful today, mother. Is it hard for you? Is it, is it really hard for you to be married to the same man that all these women are married to? And she says, it is at times. But if, if your father wasn't the most wonderful man in the world, I don't think I could do it. And, and nobody would know Brigham better than a wife. Right. And yet, and yet her testimony is he's a good man. He's the most wonderful man in the world. That was her testimony. So, uh, which, which is very, very interesting. You want to, if you, if you look at the people that were close to Brigham and see what they said about him, you get a completely different picture than just a couple sentences that seemed rough. Yeah. And, and not to mention, it's really hard to, it's, it's really hard to know when, what Brigham is or how Brigham is speaking, right? Because if you go to the Journal of Discourses <laughs> and you go to all those other sources, you're like, is this the prophetic hat? Is this the territorial governor hat? Is this the colonizer hat? What, you know, what's he talking in, in full context here about? And so that becomes vitally important because I would argue that with the exceptions of Joseph Smith and maybe the founding fathers, Brigham Young did a tremendous work wearing a lot of different hats to carve out not just an existence, but a society out of the Great Basin. Yeah, and, and really, who else could have done that? Right, right. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I understand Brigham could be firm, but he kind of had to be, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're going to get in these wagons and we're going to go over these plains and over those mountains, and then we're going <laughs> to settle by a really salty lake, right? <laughs> You, you where, need there's, a, where there's no civilization, right? Right, right. <laughs> and we're going to carve out an existence out of that. You have to be a little firm, right? I mean, you you're, you can't be a total softy in that environment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he so, was everything he needed to be. He was. He absolutely was. So as you're begin, let, let's talk about the films a little bit here. Now, is this going to be a series of films or is this going to be um just one film or, or on joseph smith or what are you looking at here david 
Yeah, absolutely. The idea is to take a series of stories of his life. And uh, we'd probably find the same actor who plays Joseph Smith in every one of them. We'd probably like I've already got two that have Noel K. Whitney. And so they'd be connected. They'd be connected series of films that um, illustrate a message very easily. Um, but it's not just Joseph Smith. This like I want to do maybe a season, so to speak, of Joseph Smith. Um, there's a, a story I found on Charles Penrose that illustrates a principle of the gospel so well that I would like to film that. Joseph's not even in that. It, it was Charles Penrose, but it, uh, it's the origin of the, 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 the song in the hymn book called School Thy Feelings and why Charles Penrose wrote that. And it was a very trying circumstance for him, but it was just an absolute beautiful story. Um, so yes, right now I'm actually casting and preparing for three specific stories about Joseph Smith to help give a clearer idea of who he was. And I hope to continue to find some more stories um, about him to where I, I, would, I don't know how many episodes I'll just call them episodes. I don't know how many there will actually be uh, still working on that particular thing. But uh, I even intend to um, do one on John Taylor called The Kingdom of God or Nothing that uh, has stuff on the 1886 events told in a narrative form. So there's a lot of different things that, that I'm looking at doing. But I think I'm going to start with Joseph Smith and try to give an idea of who he was through these short films. So are these scripts that you yourself have wrote? No, they actually come directly from these accounts. They are scripts that I wrote just to put them in a script form so all my cast and crew understands how we're shooting it. However, the, the stories come from accounts themselves. Now, I will say this. There are some stories where... The person writing the story about what happened with Joseph Smith doesn't say verbatim what Joseph said or what they said. They'll say something like, uh, Joseph let us know that we were doing a good job. But how do you actually script that? How do you, how do you script that without actually putting words into Joseph's mouth? We want the audience to know that Joseph told them that they're doing a good job, but they didn't write in their journal in quotation marks you guys are doing a really great job. So there's some people that may take issue with, oh, you're putting words in, in Joseph's mouth that he never said. And one thing I've found too, is that there will be an account on a certain situation that happened where one person tells it this way and said that Joseph said such and such. And another account of the exact same situation where they says that Joseph said, such and such, and they differ. And so it becomes a little bit of a challenge to say, okay, what actually happened? I like to use the, the law of witnesses, the mouth of two or three witnesses, all truth shall be established. And if I can find that, then I can basically say, okay, this is verbatim. This has to stay true to the source material. And I try to do that anyway. It's just there are moments where you have to convey to the audience what the person in the journal was saying where they didn't actually give quotes. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. And, and one thing I wanted to say is that 
too often we we feel like well these events should should um be so important that the account from one person to another should be identical yeah. and that's not the way humans work right <laughs> it we can look at the the gospels as just an example if you look at matthew mark john they all differ a little bit right and and yeah. rather than than say well this doesn't agree with matthew so we gotta throw it out no we what we say is is that okay john is is seeing the same event but because he's a different person with a different um, background and a different um, point of origin, maybe he's going to see things differently than what Matthew's going to see them. And he may fixate on different um, details of that story than Matthew does. And it's that it's the same way when you start talking about uh, car accidents or, or, you know, major events, right? Um, one of the things that that really surprised me is right after 9-11, I remember I had some good friends out east who were at Ground Zero or close to Ground Zero, and there were little pieces of the story that didn't line up with each other. Sure. <laughs> and when I started to, to, to look at it, like, okay, is somebody lying to me here? I found out, no, they're not lying to me. They just put more emphasis on one part than the other. And another person put more emphasis on a different part. And, and in some ways, those different accounts that maybe don't match up quite right, I, I, I've tried to be a little more forgiving since that experience with my friends out east in saying that, no, they could both be completely 100% correct. They're just putting emphasis on different things. I love that. And I love your, you using the four gospels as an example, because what you do have is you have Matthew and John who both were eyewitnesses to the things that Jesus did. Yet you'll find in Matthew, when Jesus talks about having the faith of the mustard seed, he says, if you have the faith of the mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, be thou removed and it would remove. But then you go to John and he emphasizes that story a little bit more. And says, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, be thou removed, and it would be removed. So that's verbatim. But then John says that Christ continued and said, for the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. But when it is planted, it grows into a large tree, and the fowls of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And you don't get that. That, that was what stood out to John. And so he made sure that he wrote that, that this is what Christ said about this instance. And it's beautiful, too, because you have Mark, who he could have been an eyewitness. Uh, there's some that say that he was probably a teenager and, and followed Jesus around at the time. He could have been an eyewitness. But then you have Luke, who wasn't, who was told by Paul what had happened. And Paul wasn't even an eyewitness, which is very interesting. But at the same time, Luke was a very thorough historian, and he would take what source material he could gather and put it together in a very comprehensive way. All of that has value. And all of that offers just plenty of perspective to get it. And so I like to find stories. I like to find stories of, especially for my films, that have more than one witness. Absolutely. Because really, and, and, and again, we see this in the Gospels, is that we don't call one of the apostles liars because they're their story differed a little bit, right? Likewise, I, I think that it's the message more than, than the verbiage. Do you know what I mean? 
And yeah, the message absolutely. always has a way of coming through. And the Gospels, I think, provide a clear example of that, where, where even though the stories differ a little bit, or the verbiage differs a little bit, the, the message comes, comes through on, on those. So I, I think taking, taking some artistic license, if you will, and trying to put, you know, a three sentence um, paragraph and trying to make it a five minute clip in a movie, I don't think there's anything wrong with expounding on that a little bit. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm glad to hear that. Now, in doing that, it's very important to me that I don't tell anything that's not truthful, sure, that I don't sure. just make something up. If there's a line of dialogue that a character says that is not verified exactly like that in the account, that line of dialogue supports the account still. It, it's to support the idea that whoever the author of, of it is was trying to convey. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I, I think, I think you're, you're right on with, with how you're approaching that. I mean, I'm kind of an amateur historian, especially when it comes to the founding fathers. And, and I've often thought, man, there just needs to be a good movie about Washington. I mean, a solid movie. <laughs> yes. The problem is, is that as I read, as I read other as I read historians about Washington, they can't agree with each other. And I'm like, yeah, this would end up in a fist fight. I get it. So yes. I, I can, I can totally, totally sympathize with what you're saying right there about trying to make sure that, that that dialogue supports the message, right. Or supports the idea that's coming through. So where are you at in terms of, of filming? Have you started filming yet or anything? No, uh, still working on pre-production. I've got a lot of family stuff going on right now that, that doesn't allow me to roll camera quite yet, but I'm particularly fond of the fall colors. Okay. And, okay. Uh, and I'm looking at sometime mid-fall, hopefully, to do three days of shooting for, for three days or uh, three specific shorts. And if you'd like, I can go into those, those shorts. Absolutely. Okay. So one of them is... Uh, a story about it's told by William F. Cahoon about when he was 17 years of age. And this young man was uh, a teacher in the Aaronic priesthood. And he was tasked to go to various homes on home teaching assignments. And he says that he did really, really well until the bishop called him to go to Joseph Smith's house. And then he felt really, really small and wanted to shrink from his duty. And and excuse himself from that assignment he said but he he realized it was his duty and he was asked to go do it and so very nervously he goes one night and knocks on the door and joseph opens up with a smile invites him in calls the family together and william uh proceeds to just ask some questions simple ones like are you saying family prayers as well as individual prayers are you teaching your children the principles of the gospel are you fulfilling your duty toward God and toward your family? Just those reminder type questions. And he, he affirms that Joseph very humbly would respond, yes, I'm, I'm trying to do that. And then the young man would ask Emma a few questions and she'd respond similarly. And uh, after he was done, he just said that Joseph was so cordial and thanked him so much for fulfilling his duty. And, uh, there's two accounts of the story, by the way. One of them, from Cahoon himself, says that 
Joseph just walked him out the door and thanked him and was very nice and cordial. But there's another account that says Joseph went up, put his hand on his shoulder. And he says, brother, I want to tell you something. It's because of young men like you that the kingdom of God will never fail. So there's two differing accounts and I have to juggle, you know, which one, which one's more accurate there, but um, that's a beautiful story. And I think it's a great encouragement to young men who have been called to the priesthood who have all but forgotten that there actually is um, a duty in the Aaronic priesthood that's very helpful if they'll fulfill it. So that's one of them. Uh, and it finishes with actual quote from Joseph Smith found in teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, where he says that uh, a deacon can enjoy as much of the spirit of God by doing his duty as the president of the church could. So I finish him with Joseph saying, a part of the sermon on that another story i'll be real, real brief with this one no you're good take your time there's no time limit here okay it's told by a, a it's told by a lady that when she was a little girl eight years old that she remembers joseph smith riding on a horse into nauvoo to the home of their family and they had just moved to nauvoo they had barely gotten there and Joseph came up to her father and asked for $100 to pay the lawyer to defend Porter Rockwell, who had been, uh, I guess, indicted for attempted assassination of Governor Boggs. And so Joseph asked to borrow $100, which was a fairly significant sum in that day. And without hesitation, this man, Thomas Colborne, gives him the $100. Joseph thanks him and says, I'll have this back to you in three days. And he mounts his horse and rides off. Well, the sister of the man that gave the money was pretty upset about it and started accusing him of giving his money away to a guy who will never pay it back, who can't take care of his own family, and that he'll never see a dime of it again. And uh, Thomas Colborne, faithful man, says, uh, well, if he doesn't pay, pay it back, he's welcome to it. So this little girl watches eagerly for three days for Joseph to come back. And sure enough, on the third day, it gets to be eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, still no Joseph Smith. And it's raining outside. And, and the sister's just, I told you so, he's not going to pay this. And uh, about 11 o'clock at night, <laughs> there's a knock at the door. Thomas goes and opens up the door. And Joseph, soaking wet, says, Here's the money, Thomas. <laughs> I have been working all day long to try to get this sum. And they counted it out. There was $100 in gold that he paid back. And he says, I had to make sure I got it to you for my reputation was at stake. And he walks away. And it left such an impression on that little girl. Wow. That, that's just one of those stories that tell you a little bit about who this guy was. He was an honest person. And there are historical revisionists that will tell you he wasn't. They'll bring up the United Firm in Kirtland and, and uh, say all kinds of things about him because people in his day said things about him. So I will just, there's another one I'm, I'm working on as well um, called a lecture on faith. And I'm still developing that research-wise. So I won't share that right now, but uh, it is one I intend to film. You know, and, and it's those stories that I think help to humanize the people that we revere in history. We, we have the strange, as humans, and I can't figure out why exactly, 
but we have this strange way of people who were important in history, we tend to um, intellectually and emotionally turn them into statues of marble, right? Where they're yes. almost stationary and they almost seem to be people without parts and passions, if you will, right? Where, well put. Well put. where, where you don't see their humanity. And it's, it's in the accounts like the one that you just mentioned that I think it's so important that, that we see the prophet's humanity, that we see his, 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 uh, his love and his passion, not only for the gospel, but for the people that followed after the message which he preached. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, it helps us as viewers and as humans ourselves. I, I'm glad you mentioned that it's nice to see their humanity because it actually helps us to say, wow, now that I see this example before me, I know it's possible. I can do that too. Absolutely. I, one of my personal heroes from the scriptures is Peter, right? And, yeah. and this is where I'm going to admit my, my, my foibles, if you will, is that <laughs> you got Peter just a few hours before he he denies christ where he's like hey we'll go to war we'll do whatever we got to do to to make sure you're okay and and you're not going to suffer and we're going to go through this and and he's just stalwart and he's going to you know make sure that that the savior's okay a few hours later man he's like i don't know who, who that guy was i've no idea and and i can identify with peter in some respect because there's times I come out of, of church or I come out of, of my family worship and I'm like, this is it. I'm, I'm not going to screw up. I'm, I'm not, I'm going to be cool. And then not more than a couple hours later, I'm like, well, I screwed that up already. But <laughs> when, when we can see somebody's humanity, like we can Peter's, we can be like, okay, well, I haven't denied the savior and God still worked with Peter. So I know he'll still work with me. And I think it's a way that we can find hope even when we stumble and we fall. That's the very beautiful principle you touched on there, David. I've noticed that one of the things the adversary works on us the most is shame. To convince us how shameful we ought to be and how much the Savior wouldn't want our presence and how much God wouldn't want our presence because of how filthy we are and how much we screwed up. And I think that's completely opposite of what the Savior was trying to get us to understand. I think you t the, the example you give of Peter is a beautiful one. Well, and, and the other thing is, and I love the endowment, and, and I love the, the Genesis accounts, both the one in Genesis and in the Pearl of Great Price, because I think there's so much we can take from there. It's so rich. And it's yes. in, in both in the ordinance of the endowment and then just reading about it in scripture. But one of the things that always stuck out to me, especially when I was first becoming Mormon period and coming into the LDS church, because, and I've admitted this before, and I'll do it again, before I joined the, the, the before I became a Mormon, I could have majored in dirt bagginess and got like a PhD. I was really good at it. And so <laughs> as as uh as we as as we see look at the genesis account even after adam and eve have partaken the fruit they're they're attempting to hide from god right right 
mm-hmm. on the charge uh, by the charge given by Satan to them, go and hide. And they're hiding, but the Lord still seeks after him. His God right. still seeks after him. And I think that that's a perfect analogy for us that even when we screw up and, and we think, well, I'm, I'm done, there's no hope for me, God is still reaching out. You, you know, David, even if you even if your podcast was you just talking about principles without interviewing people, I think I'd listen to it nonstop because you're hitting on so many great principles. I love the gospel and how much how much God seeks after us. I love how you put that. I've noticed in my own life, no matter how far down the rabbit hole I go, no matter how far I've departed from the gospel and turned my back on it and ran. Every time I've turned around, the Savior was one step away with his arms wide open. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I, uh, look, being a Mormon's not fun of any stripe, right? I mean, there's, a, there's joy there. I don't want to say that sure. there's not yeah. joy there. But I remember when I got up off my knees praying, I was like, I don't want to be a Mormon. They're weird, right? And then <laughs> you really double down and you go full fundamentalist. And then you're like, oh, this is getting way bad, right? <laughs> like I was, I was really pissed about three-hour church. And now it just went way beyond that. So, so yeah, I, I, I think that, that even in those times, right, you, you can always, you, you look back after the, the trial's over or after you've decided to look around, you're like, he wasn't that far away from me ever. And I like what you said there, David, about turning around and seeing the savior there, so to speak, with his arms wide open. So I, and again, that goes back to that whole humanity thing on our part that, that we should be able to look back in history and see not only a person's successes, but maybe even their failures and their shortcomings, but then go, wait a second, that guy was flawed. God still used him. Maybe he can use me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's, there's um, a great example in um, Alma the Younger, Saul, who became Paul. Man, they were vile. Absolutely vile. And when they turned to the Lord, the Lord didn't squish their passion. He just redirected it. Absolutely. And, that, and they were so valuable to the cause of God because they maintained the passion. But they, it was redirected toward glorifying the Lord. And so any of the, like, we have an identity. You, you have an identity. I have an identity. There's certain parts of us that uh, some may think is sinful. Some may think that our personalities are without manners or whatever. But ultimately, I think that there's parts of us, as long as it's not sinful, that is actually meant to add variety and help the cause. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, and, and I find it fascinating because the more I do these podcasts, the more I realize, because at first, when I first started this podcast, I got to tell you, David, I was super nervous. Like, I've <laughs> never done this before. Kind you're, of nervous, you're a right? pro at it. <laughs> oh no, I got a long ways to go. But I, I remember 
and again, I've told this story. So to the listeners, I apologize. This came to me when I was laying in bed at 3 a.m. in the morning away from home for work. And I just never sleep well in hotels anyway without my family. And uh, this thought came to me of doing this, this podcast. And I'm like, from a Mormon fundamentalist point of view, that's (laughs) bat crap crazy. Absolutely not. (laughs) But likewise, I, I see someone like you who's like, movies told from a Mormon fundamentalist position. That's, that's got a good ring to it. Right. And so, but you have different talents than I do, but if we can get past one cannibalizing each other, and then two, just trusting that whatever your faults are, it's okay. It's okay. Clean them up. You're not hiding anything really from God. It's not like he's looking down going, well, that really surprised me. Right. He knows clean that up and then go forward just go forward and and with reckless abandon a little bit and and it's seeing folks like you doing your thing with just kind of a reckless abandon that just i, I got to admit it just kind of jacks me up a little bit <laughs> that's awesome uh yeah i like that term reckless abandonment really i've noticed in in life and this is through many faults of my own th- that i came to notice this is that really reckless abandonment is what is needed to really be effective. I think there was a term you used earlier. I think you said it was an authenticity. I think you mentioned authenticity. And there's another term I really like, sincerity. Anytime that you notice that somebody's authentic and sincere about what they're doing, it, there's a spirit that comes with it. Yeah. To where you, you almost it's almost like you can't control it. You almost have to respect it to a certain extent. It's not like you're forced to, but it's just, it commands respect. And I want to talk about that word sincerity. It comes from a Latin, a Latin term called sink sera, which means without wax. And what happened early on with, with the Greeks and the Romans, they would make these, you know, the Parthenon and these, these great buildings and palaces and stuff. And marble was just as hard to come by back then as it is now and expensive that the architects would sometimes only use solid marble pillars where they really needed to be structurally. But then some of the inner structure, they'd make pillars out of wax and put a marble facade around it. And then palaces started to collapse. And so they termed this, this term, sincero, which in the English is sincerity or sincere to mean without wax, marble through and through, the real deal. Uh, and I have noticed that it, one of my weaknesses is even with, with you and, and many other people I meet, sometimes I just want to be cool. Sometimes I just want to fit in. And uh, if, if there's a conversation that's happening that where I see that there's some negative gossip going which is the spirit of the accuser that I know is not good. I'll kind of go along with it because I don't want to be, you know, insulted as being self-righteous or whatever. Uh, but in reality, every time that I've sincerely said, Hey, I don't feel comfortable participating in this. Um, I'm not accusing any of you guys. And I don't want you guys to feel like that. I would ever say these things about you when I'm out of your presence, but I want to bear testimony to you that, um, 
we should be building other people up rather than tearing them down. Every time I've been sincere enough to bear testimony, I've noticed a change in the spirit in the room. And I've seen it with other people too, when they bear testimony in sincerity. It's a beautiful thing. What's interesting to me is how you combine, what was the term you used? Uh, re reckless abandonment <laughs> with yeah. sincerity. Because I think that reckless abandonment is proof of your sincerity. You're not a facade. You are without wax. You're true, you're true blue through and through. Like Joseph F. Smith. You've heard that story, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I figured you've probably heard every story out there. <laughs> That's not true. I the, the more I do these podcasts, the more I realize, yeah, I still have so much to learn, right? Um, which is part of the nice thing about doing these podcasts is I tend to hear a lot of different points of view. And in doing so, it, it makes me realize, you know, sometimes I think I... I and I think all of us do this to a certain extent, or at least I hope we do, or else I'm really in bad shape. But I, I think we all get to a point times in our life where we feel like, oh, I've got this figured out. I understand what I need to understand. And when we do that, we kind of start to close ourselves off from um, maybe different experiences or different point of views from which we can really glean a lot of wisdom. And so one thing with this podcast is it has taught me that, yeah, you don't know as much as you think, you know. So, and sometimes it's almost resembled how my discipleship has been with my savior as well. Right. Where it seems like I get closer to the savior and the more, the closer I get to him, his light really illuminates all of my flaws. And I'm, I'm once again, going back and trying to do a little bit better. That's a very, very, very good observation, uh, and I would like to add a second witness to that. Not, not your flaws, particularly my own. <laughs> oh, you can add uh, to them. I got plenty of room. You can do that. <laughs> I've just noticed that many, at any time when I've needed revelation to direct my own family, and uh, or on an important subject where I need further light and knowledge, any time when I've gotten myself in a humble enough position and i go to the lord that his spirit actually starts speaking to me i'm i'm pointed out what i've got to deal with i'm told things like i've got my heart set too much upon frivolous things that keep me from learning the things that i ought to be learning uh there's usually just a chastisement that comes with it and it's a gentle one it's a merciful one when those flaws are pointed out to us, then we have an opportunity of overcoming them. And that's what's so beautiful about having your flaws pointed out. I love that personally. And what you're saying about the podcast and learning so much, there's a really, really good quote I like. It says, if, all you, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. That's great. Pretty simple quote. But that's the one thing, and I, I'm, I'm kind of like you, except for I never did a podcast, but I've gotten around to different communities and different, different people, and it's so amazing to visit with them. You get a lot of different perspectives that really actually just add. They broaden your horizon if you're open to learn, and I've learned a tremendous amount from that too. Um, one of the things that you touched on that I'd like to emphasize too is – 
Well, now that I think about it, I'm having a stupor of thoughts. So maybe it's not important. That that's all right. I if it comes to you, definitely bring it bring it back up. But one of the things that that I've noticed sometimes as Mormons from every group or independent uh, position tend to forget is that Brig, uh, Joseph said it, and then Brigham also emphasized it, is that Mormonism is about gathering in all truth, Yeah. right? And, yes. and if we close ourselves off from other people because they're not, quote, one of us, we're not truly Mormon, I don't think. I agree, and I, I, would, I would add we're not fundamentalist Mormon because the, the adjective that Joseph used is it's a fundamental principle of Mormonism to accept truth, let it come from whence it may. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've talked a little bit here about how the scripts are coming together and about filming and that sort of stuff. Have you thought about how you're going to do distribution? I have. And it's uh, that one's a really tough one because you will not find very many people that are excited to distribute um, Mormon material, let alone fundamentalist Mormon material. If it makes the Mormons look bad and Brigham Young look like a crook, they want to distribute it. But if it makes them look good, they want nothing to do with it. So it becomes very, very tricky. Now, one of the things that I'm working on is actually just having a website. And the website would be to where people can go and watch these stories absolutely free, but have something like you have set up with your podcast, that there's an option that they can donate if they want to see more content or to do um, just like a, a monthly, I don't know what they call it, but be a monthly donor. Yeah, a monthly donation. And uh, whether whether that pays for the production or not isn't what's important to me. I, it would always be a help. I intend to use whatever resources I have to make it happen regardless. But I honestly think that the best thing to do is to have a specific uh, website dedicated to the telling of these stories uh, where people can view it. You know, I as you were describing it, I, I don't think that that's a far out model to have, right? Uh, take, for example, and uh, have you seen The Chosen? I have. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I actually had several conversations with the director before he actually got full on in The Chosen. That was all crowdsourced, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? That You're was correct. all funded by, by folks who just saw the value in it and went for it. And I think people are really hungry for for honest content right um even if even if they don't agree with with part of the message or whatever i i think they're they're hungering for authenticity and for good content and so i don't i don't think that that model is is far out anymore i think i think maybe a decade ago it may have seemed unattainable um sure but we're in this weird place now where if as a as a race of people, so to speak, as, as the human race is right now, if we can manage not to blow ourselves up or do something stupid, 
never before in history has the middleman or the gatekeeper been under as much duress as what they are now, right? A, mm-hmm. a decade ago, if you just said, hey, you could fire up a podcast on Mormon fundamentalism or you could print, you know, you could direct films on on Mormon fundamentalism. Good luck. Right. It, that wasn't going to happen because you had to go through a certain amount of gatekeepers. We don't see that now. Right. Right. There is a lot of um, liberty with the technology that we have, and it's incredible. Uh I like the resources that we have. I like the chances that we have. In fact, I've said this before, but I fully believe that if if Joseph Smith and his brethren would have had access to film in their day and time, they would have utilized it for missionary purposes to the best of their ability. Absolutely, they would have. I think we live in a time now where any of those men would have given their left arms, whether it's about, you know, the gospel with Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, or if it was, you know, Thomas Paine, they would have given their left arm to have the reach that we have today. Absolutely. If we we can just manage not to screw ourselves over too badly, I, I think we could be coming into a time to where we could see messages thrive like never before. I don't say this to toot my own horn. I say this to to give, try to maybe give you a little bit of encouragement. When I first started this podcast, I'm like, okay, it's going to be me and six other people, right? I'm going to talk to six people probably worldwide. <laughs> I did not anticipate the amount of feedback I got. I got folks from England and France that have messaged me late at night, wanting wow. to know where they can find resources and stuff. It's it's nuts, right? That's and incredible. I get a little freaked out when I think about it. So I try not to think about it too much, but um, yeah, I I think we're in an amazing time. And I think the model you're thinking of is going to work just fine. If you don't mind me asking where it costs a lot of money to produce a film, right? Even a short film. What, what kind, how have you been able to, are you just writing checks out of your personal account to do this? Or have you had any sort of funding or, or what are you looking like that way? Well, um, currently, currently, uh, yes, I am writing out checks to do this, but, um, usually what I will do if I have enough money, when a paycheck comes in, then I will definitely take out my 10% for tithing. And, uh, if I have a little extra, I also have a percentage that I set aside for getting the messages out. And that's, that's in film. Now, some of my, some of my actors I'll pay. Some of them are like, I don't want it. Some of them are, they, they want to help. They genuinely want to help. And some of my crew as well. Uh, there's a very talented crew member that I have that, you know, like us also has the name David, which is very nice. And uh, he's, <laughs> He's a very talented guy, and with him, he uh, we just trade. He has films that he likes to work on, and he likes my help, and I have films that I like to work on. I like his help, so we just trade that way. But currently, uh, yes, I'm basically financing everything, and uh, I don't want that to take from my family too much. If that's the way it has to be, that's the way it will be. And I'll continue to do it because I won't let uh, the lack of financial resources hold me back. Man, you, it sounds a lot like me firing this thing up. 
to date, full disclosure, one of the 87,000 IRS, new IRS agents can come for it. To this point, I have made exactly $150 off of oh, this wow. thing, right? <laughs> but, but I just want to keep it afloat. I'm not looking to make a meal sure. off this, right? I just sure. want to keep it afloat because I feel in a weird way like I was called to do this. So if this thing never makes a penny, but I can maintain it, I'm cool, right? This is this is what yeah. I was tasked to do, and this is what I'll do. So in you describing that, it, I, I can totally identify with how how you feel about it. Well, we'll see, David. It's it's beautiful what you're doing too, because there's so many things that we could listen to, and and I don't mean this to toot your horn either, but but you are very engaging. Uh, I love, love your enthusiasm, your excitement for the gospel is just beautiful. And I think that uh, that's lacking in a lot of areas. But even listening to your podcast, I can get a little bit jazzed about the gospel, too. It's a very beautiful missionary work. So even if it's not lucrative in any way, shape or form in terms of our economic standard, I think that there's treasures in heaven for anybody who's willing to get a good message out uh, to the glory of God. I really do. I, I do too. And and I've told people as I've talked, as I've had other guests on, I've told them, man, you should start a podcast. And, <laughs> and I'm like, if my voice, I shouldn't, and I'm not, but if anyone ever tells you, you shouldn't do it, you should really take a hard look on why it is they wouldn't want you to. And the more voices we have, the better off we are. So, I, I agree. I like the perspective. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Um, when, when you were first starting this up, uh, was it intimidating to you or was it just what you did for work anyway, or, or tell me about that? Oh, sure. Um, full disclosure, uh, <laughs> when I first started filmmaking, it was to impress a girl. Um, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> but, uh, when I actually started doing it because I had never thought of it before until uh, her and her sisters were talking one day, hey, it would be really neat to take our sister's story and make it into a movie. And some people in the room asked why. And for some reason, I just asked, why not? And that week, I bought a video camera and had never touched one before. And here I am, four features and six shorts later, um, quite enamored by the process and the, the, the potential of it. Basically, the idea behind Zion Productions, and if you've seen my, my blurb, Zion Productions, pure in heart. The idea is to help us to become pure in heart, for Zion is the pure in heart. And if you've ever seen a movie that just inspired you and uplifted your soul, you know what it's capable of doing. And I know that I've been uplifted by, by movies. I, I would like to just point one, one particular one out. It's called 17 Miracles. Mm -hmm. uh, T.C. Christensen put it out. There's an instance in that movie, and, and I've read the account, so I know they verified this account, but there's an instance in there where this man and woman had their daughter get fr freeze to death on the planes. And it's too the ground's too frozen. They can't dig a hole, and it's too cold to just sit there and mourn the company has to keep moving and captain willie was pretty determined we got to keep the handcarts moving or we're going to freeze to death 
And so in their sorrow, they leave their daughter, their dead daughter behind, cover her in a blanket on top of the icy ground and start to go. And the mother all of a sudden says, what are we doing? And, and the dad responds, what are you doing? What are we doing? I'm going back for our daughter. And she starts heading back. He's like, why? We got to keep up with the company. The company's leaving us. And she says, a servant of the Lord promised us, promised me that if I would live the gospel to the best of my ability, every one of our family would make it to the valley alive. And she mm -hmm. runs back on that faith and she goes and starts warming up water and takes that warm water and starts just gently caressing her daughter and her daughter comes back to life. That amount of faith that was so well displayed in this movie is what I think we're missing. And my point with it that I noticed is she believed more in, a, in the promise of a servant of the Lord than in her own experience. Wow. That, that is a remarkable amount of faith. And it inspired me so much to see that in the film that uh, it just jazzed me as a filmmaker even more to say, hey, if that, if that film can do that to me, I want to make sure that I basically carry the torch on to the next person. Those things can inspire our souls. One of the one of the things that I find so fascinating about what you're doing is you're you're looking to impact make an impact, right? You're you're looking to put something out there that is not just faith promoting, but not only deepens your faith, but appeals to to the best of us, right? Yeah. And if there's one thing that I've noticed in being a fundamentalist is that we tend, and, and I understand why I do, I get it. We tend to hide our light under a bushel because yes. there has been persecutions, right? I get that. Yeah. I get that wholeheartedly, but I think we're in a different time now, David. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. You've been a fundamentalist a lot longer than I have. But as times have changed, all of a sudden, a dude with two wives and believes some far out stuff about God doesn't seem quite as bad as it used to. It does seem like people are a lot more lenient right. uh, and, and, and accepting, I guess, of that. Like it doesn't bother them as much as it used to. I would agree. And, and because we live in this environment now, I feel like it's incumbent upon those of us who maybe didn't share in the experiences of folks that came before us. And I am super thankful for the folks that came before me within Mormonism, a guy who was never a Mormon that stuck to their guns and lived it and even lived it in hiding. <laughs> yeah. So I'm so thankful for them. But if, if we're looking backwards to do it just like they did it, we're not, we're not um, exploring what our mission should be. Sure. And I think today, rather than hiding, we need to start becoming change agents within society. I think you touched on one of the most important principles 
And one of the most important or one of the biggest reasons that I'm doing this, because I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, what, what's the point of this plural marriage thing? Why is that important? What does that actually do? It's so hard for people to live. And um, the question that I asked them back is, well, would you agree that our modern society is on point, to, on target, that they're on the right path? And every time the answer is no, I think we're, I think we're a mess. And so my response to them is, in the United States, in order, well, I, I studied demographics. So in order for a species to survive, that species has to have at least a 2.1 fertility rate. That means you take a man and a woman, two people, and they need to produce 2.1 people on average for that race or that society to even survive. In America, we currently have 2.1 people per family among whites. Among the Muslim community in America, they average 8.7 yeah. per family. In Germany, the German government recently released a statement that said by the year 2050, they would become a full-on Muslim nation by fertility alone. Mm -hmm. So if you look at Jacob 2, because people like to quote that a lot, look at Jacob 2, verse 30, when the Lord basically said, tells the Nephites, you are to have but one wife. He says, for if I will raise up seed unto myself, I will command my people. If society is degraded, it's because of the people that make up that society. So what better time for the Lord to actually say, hey, society's about to become degraded. I need a people that represent my holy name, my laws, and are determined to keep them. And you find a few good men that are willing to take on multiple women and good women that are willing to work in that type of family unit. And what the result is, if people stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, is good children. Those children grow up and become tomorrow's society. So in effect, plural marriage is designed to create a godlike society. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember... Um... So I, I don't know if you've listened to any episodes of the podcast. And again, I'm going to say something I've said on here before, and I apologize to the listener, but I practiced plural marriage for, for a time, about six years. Uh -huh. And one of the things that dawned on me was, is that in, in the LDS church, we tend to look around and go like, okay, where, where's Zion? Where, how are we going to build Zion? And it dawned on me one day that you can't build a Zion society until you have Zion families. Agreed. 100% agreed. And until we get that basic building block down, I don't think we'll ever see Zion like we think or like we hope to see it. I, I so agree with that thought process. And, and so, yeah, no, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, plural marriage was designed to create strong families with strong children, period. One of the things I want to mention with that demographics thing I was telling you about, 
that among the um, the fertility rate of 2.1 white Americans that the nation is currently at, the bare minimum for that species to survive, that only factors in um, birth certificate, you know, right. legal legal ones. If if they were to go and redo the demographics and take all the polygamists and put that and factor that in, I think you'd see a lot higher number. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I, I think the other thing is, is that we're supposed to proclaim the gospel, right? Yes. And because fundamentalist Mormons are so fractured, there's, there's a few groups who do send out missionaries, but by and large, it's, it's pretty tough to get that message out. And one of the things I look at through film and what you're doing is that it has a tremendous ability to, to reach people. Is that something that you gave thought to? Absolutely. That's basically the big reason behind it. We need people. We, we need more people uh, to help build the Zion society that we're talking about. But it starts with becoming pure in heart. It starts with desiring to be pure in heart. And if a film can affect me the way that 17 Miracles did or uh, other films, then we need to get more of that type of content out there. Otherwise, Hollywood's winning the battle, and we know who's running that show. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I was really close to my dad, and one of the things my dad loved to do was watch John Wayne movies. <laughs> And, and so I got a soft spot in my heart for John Wayne. I really do. But it, it, they were such good movies because the good guys were good. The bad guys were bad. They didn't glorify evil. And it, it was a film you could just watch and enjoy, right? And not have to worry about a bunch of garbage being laced in there. Sure. And what I've noticed come out of Hollywood – at least the last certainly in the time i've been alive and probably a little bit before that is there seems to be a self-deprecation of america in general and really anything that is wholesome and and faith promoting whatsoever in your time because you said you've done a little bit of work in there uh -huh. you must have seen some pretty gnarly stuff absolutely I'm not going to touch a whole lot on that, but I do want to comment just briefly. There was a, uh, how do I put this? So I'm going to bring out the, the FLDS a little bit. And, and I love the FLDS, by the way. I love the people there. Um, I've seen some things there that, you know, are disconcerting, but you, there's some pure hearts there. So this isn't uh, to target the FLDS. I'm just using it as an example. But there was a, a doctrine. Some people call it the one man doctrine. Some people mm -hmm. call it one manism that became not just prevalent. It, it was emphasized so much in that society that uh, at a certain point, what was being taught was that if the prophet says something that contradicts scripture, you go with what the prophet says. 
and so the entire emphasis came just follow that prophet whatever he says even if the next one says something different then you follow what the new one says so um not just fundamentalists but the world at large kind of condemns that thought process a little bit but i got when i got involved with filmmaking and started working with a lot of people i noticed that they were all trying to elevate their name in hollywood so that they could get the better jobs etc so that they could be famous or respected or feel validated for whatever reason and anything hollywood would tell them to think religiously politically or otherwise they would buy into it wholeheartedly because what was being taught is it's not what you know in the film industry it's who you know and so the big time hot shots in hollywood could influence any aspiring filmmaker to where they if they said one political thing the aspiring filmmaker would buy into it and essentially hollywood became the the aspiring filmmakers infallible one man wow infallible prophet and yeah it became pretty gnarly because whether they believe it or not it it was a religion it is a religion and i've seen firsthand um who heads it and that is lucifer himself um there are good people in hollywood i don't want to discredit that there are good people i've met really good christian people that are living right in the heart of hollywood trying to produce good christian content but in my experience as a whole they all follow that one man doctrine so to speak and it, and it that man's name is Hollywood. Yeah, no, I could, I could definitely see it. I, I and you can see it in certain figures, right? I, I think of Harvey Weinstein. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's, it's the same sort of abuse. It's just in a different religious context, right? I mean, yes. You had Warren Jeffs who was doing it from a quasi Mormon point of view, and then you have. Harvey Weinstein, who was doing it from a, I will make you successful, but it's still paying homage to the man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a very dangerous thing. Um, when I was there, because I, I had went to Hollywood to discuss a movie with someone, and, and this was when I was involved a little bit with Paramount, and uh, I was staying with the guy who was subpoenaed to court. He was supposed to show up to court the next day because he was being sued for a million dollars when he had nothing to do with the film, except that he financed most of it. And the lawsuit was because the assistant director did more directing than the director did. And therefore the assistant director wanted a director credit and director pay. And he was suing the uh, producer who just funded it, but had nothing to do with creating the film. And during that time, I ended up talking to a lawyer in Hollywood. He says, well, what's the first thing you think of when you hear the word Hollywood? And I said, oh, movies. He says, oh, you think that's the big business, huh? The biggest business in Hollywood is lawsuits over who gets more money and who deserves more credit. 
He says that is by far the biggest industry throughout Hollywood. And the reason I bring that up is because lawsuits come from accusations. When people use accusation, they turn accuser. And who is the accuser? Right. They take on that spirit and it's very prevalent. Very prevalent. It, it seems to be non nonstop, nonstop accusation. One person saying this about another person, right and left. And there was definitely that spirit there. That's how I recognized who was actually at the head of Hollywood. <laughs> Jeez. So let me ask you this, David. What is your certainly you must have had a vision on on what what the end game looks like for for this this film company are you wanting to just stay with historical god uh, mormon kind of things or do you want to branch out and do other things that maybe are faith promoting and, and whatnot simply put anything that will help us become pure in heart okay but but for now what i've noticed to be something that just needs combated is the historical revisionism and and to basically just defend people like joseph smith brigham young john taylor etc because they're targeted heavily yeah. so that's the, where i'm starting i can't agree with you more one of the things that i discovered um right after i started this podcast was is that one there, there were movies coming out that tried, I don't know if they tried harder, if it was just a natural outgrowth of, of, you know, the film industry at large, but they were painting anything having to do with Mormon fundamentalism in a really negative light, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It promotes bloodshed and abuse and all those things. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed right away in after starting this podcast was that there was an element out there who was wanting to rewrite Mormon history so that it could be more palatable for everybody. And what we got out of that were films like um, who killed Joseph Smith. I had um, mm -hmm. Kimberly Watson Smith, who's a devout member of the LDS church, but I think she's a rock star because oh, she's great. She goes, she goes hard after this. And to listen to her talk and the time and effort she has put in is so important. But I can't agree with you more that, that again, I, we have to have some light coming from the other side to counter some of that darkness. Yeah, agreed. And, and I'm glad you mentioned Kimberly because she is the rock star. She is fantastic at what she does. She researches things very, very deeply. And uh gets accused of being a traditionalist. Uh, that's a term that historical revisionists <laughs> like to throw out. It's a label. Um, they're, they're traditionalists. They can't improve because they're, they're so much on the traditions. Well, uh, I like the way Hugh Nibley puts it. He has this talk he calls change out of control. Yeah. And in that talk, he mentions how we've become so obsessed with the idea of change that we think that everything needs changed and that's called progress. He says, but if we're ever going to get to where we need to be, we need to recognize that some things need to be changed as much as possible and some things as little as possible. The ordinances, for example. Right. Things that the Lord specifically said do not change. Um, 
and historical revisionists basically have taken the spirit of progressivism in saying that whatever change we decide is actually progress. And if you're not going to change something, you're not even trying to improve. Absolutely. As far as her being, quote, labeled a traditionalist, I got some people I could introduce those folks to that would make her look, <laughs> you know, but, but yeah. I, 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 yeah, it, it, we, Mormonism, I feel like right now, whether that's LDS, whether that's uh, a fundamentalist group or independent fundamentalists, we're kind of in a war for our souls, right? And definitely the souls of our kids. And the sooner we recognize we're in that spot that we're placed on the, in this battlefield of ideas, the sooner we can get down to business of trying to repel some of those attacks. Absolutely agreed. Uh, I like the quote that says you, the best or the first step to overcoming a problem is to recognize there is one. And the second step is to recognize what it is. Um, Stephen Covey says, diagnose before you prescribe. And when it comes to, to raising our kids and, and knowing how to bring them up righteously in a very unrighteous environment, it behooves us as parents to diagnose a lot. <laughs> yep. And, and it's, if we're reactive, then we're going to start writing prescriptions for our children without diagnosing what actually is the problem. Uh, and I think that in our environment of hurry, 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 get it done, get it done, get it done. We want it done yesterday. Then it tends to make us uh, hasty and make irrational decisions. Um, and I believe that that's very detrimental. Patience is key in all of this, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're 100% right. It's nice to know that, that not, not that the work that you're doing now isn't super important because certainly I put my emphasis on it a little bit. And again, next week, I'm going to do another show an, another podcast with, again, someone very recognizable that uh, seeks to combat that. Great. That, that, uh, that revisionist history, but to know that you got some other interests down the road, that's kind of cool too. There, there's so much great content that has either been written or, um, actual events that just never get touched on. And yeah. to, to, to see someone like yourself, who's taken, taken that challenge to, to bring that to the forefront, man, I can't tell you how much I'm rooting for you and pray for your efforts here, because I, I think we're in a spot now where we have to be those change agents, right? We have to be able, even to, to people who aren't Mormon, we have to be able to point to something better, something pure, something that bears light and not darkness, or else we're not fulfilling the commission that the savior gave us as, as being disciples. 100%. Anybody that's taken the sacrament, to take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ and the emblems that the, the bread represents, we become the body of Christ. His mission isn't finished. And since his, if his body was here in its glorified state, we'd all be vanquished at his presence. And so we've been given the commission to continue his work. We've become his body in that sense. And we must rise up. We must continue the work that he's given us to do. And, and with that said, and I, I, absolutely hate to cut this short because i've so so enjoyed this conversation 
Um, but I do need to go, but I would like to say that um, with you even, uh, anybody that sees any value in this filmmaking journey, please don't hesitate to contact me. I'm looking for a network of people that, that want to share in this type of mission to share uh, good messages that are both from a historical perspective and just something that promotes the pure in heart. And uh, I would love to hear from people and, and start gathering resources and stories and different things that would would really uh, help get us into more of a Zion mindset. And I am open to advice, opinions, corrections. <laughs> if you have any for me, David, you're free to correct me on some things because uh, I want to learn. I really do. And uh, want to share the things that I've learned as well. One last thing, David, if someone sure. wants to donate to this cause, where can they go to make a donation? Well, right now I don't have that set up, but uh, the best the best place to start the conversation, at least, is to uh, just email me. It would be at uh, zionsfilms at priest.com, and we can start that conversation at least. Fantastic. All right, David, I'd love to have you back on if you're if you're open to that, because I would love to follow the progression of, of how these things are going. So oh, absolutely. When when you start getting close to, to releasing the film, let's let's get you back on, because I, I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Sure. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll go ahead and send you one I just finished uh, just so you can view it. And I'd love to hear back from you on what you think of it and if we're going in the right direction. So. Fantastic. That sounds great. All right, oh. David Patton, you're a rock star, man. I appreciate it. As are you, David Sanders. Thank you so much. All right. Bye, everybody.